nice to see you all here. It's a it's a pleasure to be here. I grew up in Portadown, but this is my first ever time at CE, so I feel like I've missed out on what you guys are experiencing uh, tonight. But it's a joy to be here. My name is Josh. I live and work up in lovely Balamina, uh, but it's great to be back down in Portadown to be here tonight with you. If you've got a Bible, uh, you probably got you're probably going to scroll in it rather than turn to, but Scroll in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9 and verse 20. Acts chapter 9, verse 20. Uh, And we're picking up. I don't don't think you have actually done the first bit of Acts. Uh, I think we're going to pick up right in the middle, but we'll address what has already happened. It's up on the screen uh, up in front of us. My version might be slightly different um, than what... Maybe I'll just read from the screen. That'll do. Uh, Okay, Acts chapter 9, verse 20. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through the opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and set him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And the holy and they were and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it mop white. Why don't we bow our heads and let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Uh, and Lord, we thank you for the gift that it is. When we thank you, Lord, that whenever it is open, whenever it is read, Lord, that you desire to speak to us and that you desire us to listen to you. We pray tonight that you would give us open ears to hear what you would say and open hearts to receive your words. And it's all in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. I wonder if you could meet uh, a Bible character. Which Bible character would you meet? Lots of lots of great Bible characters to choose from. Maybe interested in meeting Moses. Have you got one? Judas. Interesting. You know what? I would really love to meet Judas. When whenever I went to the church I know working, they asked me to do a sermon on Judas, and I find Judas fascinating, right? Because somebody who can be so close to Jesus. And hear everything Jesus says, and yet not listen to him, and not be a Christian. I would like to ask Judas what he thought Jesus was saying. That's good. But lots of different Bible characters that we could ask. But my favorite, if I had to pick a Bible character, I would pick Paul. Because I think Paul is one of the most amazing men. I think Paul is probably the greatest man who has ever lived apart from the Lord Jesus, okay? Because Paul's life is completely turned around turned upside down, moved from darkness into light by one encounter with the Lord Jesus. He sees the Lord Jesus 
and his life is completely and utterly changed. Let's play a little game of spot the difference. If you've got your Bible, have a look at your Bible at Acts chapter 8, uh, verses 1 to 3. Let me read that to you. And Saul approved of his execution. That's Stephen. Stephen's a deacon in the church. He's one of the Christians. Uh, and he's killed because he is a Christian. And who approves it? This guy called Saul. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the region of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Then have a look over at verse, uh, cha- verse 1 of chapter 9. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priests and he sought, um, uh, uh, he, he sought agreement uh, with them to go to Damascus. So let's play a specific bit of all the difference. The, the original, the first picture, well, who do we see? We see this guy called Saul, otherwise called Paul. And what does he do? Who does he hate? Well, he cannot stand Christians. He hates them with a passion because Saul, Paul, is a really good Jew. He loves Judaism. If anybody's going to be the best Jew, if there was a war for the best Jewish person, it would go to him because he loves his religion. And you know who he can't stand? He can't stand Christians because Christians are going around and they're distorting what he believes. They're telling lies about this guy called Jesus and they're saying Jesus was the Son of God and Paul can't stand it. And so he's going around and he's, as it says in verse 3 of chapter 8, he's ravaging the church. The word used there is the word that's used of a pig when a pig gets food and tears its food apart like a wild boar destroying. He's going around and he's destroying, he's decimating the church and people are fleeing. He's grabbing people and he's throwing them into prison. That's who Saul is. That's who this guy is. That's the first picture. Turn with me to the start of your reading again. So verse 20, what do we find Paul doing in verse 20? This guy who's ravaging this church, this guy who hates Christians. Well, verse 20, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, he is the son of God. What happened? How does Saul move from somebody who hates the church, who hates Jesus, to being somebody who loves Jesus? Well, he is an encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. He's on the way to throw Christians into prison whenever the Lord Jesus appears to him and the Lord Jesus says, why are you persecuting me? And after Saul meets the risen Lord Jesus, his life is never the same. And we know as Christians, once we know the risen Lord Jesus in our lives, that our lives are never the same. Whenever we come to accept Jesus as our Savior, as our friend, as our Lord, we know that we are never the same. We're moved from a kingdom of darkness into a kingdom of light. We're moved from not a people to God's people. We're adopted into his family. Our sins are forgiven. We're given the righteousness of God. We are never the same whenever we come and we encounter the Lord Jesus. Paul is in I would just love to ask Paul, what was it like? What was it like? What was it like to have that turnaround in your life? Maybe tonight you've had a dramatic moment in your life where you've moved from being a not Christian to a Christian Maybe you have one of those really amazing testimonies of people like that. I really love testimonies like that. But maybe tonight you haven't. Maybe tonight you've been brought up in a Christian home and you've been learning all about God all of your life. And I think that's absolutely amazing as well. God's goodness and God's grace as we grow up, not letting us do the things that other people are led into. But what a testimony 
this guy Paul has, this guy Saul has. Just, just because I'm going to use the words interchangeably, uh, Saul and Paul, basically Saul is his Hebrew name and Paul is his Greek name, okay? And basically Paul's job, Saul's job, is to bring the gospel to all the world so whenever he gets into places that aren't, don't speak Hebrew, he's going to call himself Paul, just in case you're confused and you're thinking I'm talking about two people and I don't really know what's going on tonight. So Saul is Paul and Paul is Saul and I'm going to mix it up uh, a little bit tonight. But his life is absolutely transformed, absolutely changed whenever he knows and the thing I find most fascinating about the book of Acts, okay, is the book of Acts is not just a history book. It's our history. I became a Christian. I remember sitting, I'm going to admit something. I became a Christian in Portland, Elam. I know this is not Portland, Elam. I'm sorry if I've caused any offense. I became a Christian in Portland, Elam a long time ago. Hi. Well, the gospel was preached. I was explained to me and I chose to believe in Jesus Christ as my savior that night. But how did the gospel get to Portland? Well, the gospel got deported down because 2,000 years ago, a guy called Saul who hated Jesus, met Jesus, and fell in love with him. Paul, Saul, because of his conversion, that's why we have churches in this country. That's how the gospel got from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth, because Paul was saved and Paul took the gospel with him. Now, God could have used anybody else, but that's who he chose. So this book of Acts isn't just a random history book. It's not just useful information about the church. It's your history. The reason tonight you're sitting here as a Christian is because God used people in this book to take the gospel and to spread it out into the world. This is the history that we are part of tonight. And whenever it comes to Paul, whenever it comes to Paul's life and Paul's job, lots of things are different, okay? Paul couldn't use Instagram or he couldn't send a message to spread the gospel. He had to go, he had to get boats, he had to do crazy things to spread the gospel uh, around the world. But actually, two things are the same. And the two things that are the same between us and between Paul is that we have the same Jesus and we have the same job. We have the same Jesus and we have the same job. Tonight, the Lord Jesus who saved Paul 2,000 years ago is still the Lord Jesus who saves people today. He's still the Lord Jesus that anybody who calls on his name can be saved. He's still the same Lord Jesus reigning in heaven. That hasn't changed. The other thing that hasn't changed is the job. Whenever, before Jesus went up into heaven, he told his disciples to go into all the world and to spread the gospel. That's why Paul does what he does. That's why he goes to the synagogue and that's why he preaches because his job is to take the gospel and to go into the world. And that's a challenge for me and for you tonight, isn't it? That if we encounter the same Jesus as Paul, if we're Christians tonight, we have, then we are put on the same journey as Paul to go and spread the gospel. It's really amazing to hear uh, of Joy going so far away. Uh, it's great to, to meet her and to pray for her, and I'll be praying for her as she goes. But that's why she's going, because Jesus has told people to take the gospel and to spread it all over the world. You don't have to go all over the world. We all know people who are Christians. We all know people who need the Lord Jesus. We are called to love and to witness to those people. That's the job, transformed by Jesus, and we tell other people about him. And tonight from our passage, I want to look at three things, okay? Three things in Paul's ministry that will help us in ours. Three things that Paul did that will help us as we seek to share the gospel with the people we love, the people we care for, the people we work with, the people we live with, and the people we go to school with. Let's have a look at those three. What are three marks of Paul's ministry? Number one. Paul is Jesus-centered, okay? Have a look down again. We've read this verse already. Have a look down again at verse 20. 
what does he do? What does he go to the synagogue and say? And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, he is the son of God. Paul doesn't rock up to the synagogue and go, where do you hear what happened to me? Where do you hear what happened to me on the road to Damascus? It was crazy. No, he comes and he preaches all about the God who saved him, all about the Lord Jesus. And it's funny, isn't it? Because this is the very news that will get Paul into trouble later in our passage. This is the very reason that Paul hated Christians because they believed Jesus was the Son of God. And now we have Paul who hated them and were throwing them into prison. Here he is standing in the place where they were standing, standing in the place where he was persecuting them. And now he is saying the very same thing, that Jesus is the Son of God. If you knew anything about Jesus, it's coming up to Easter, we'll be remembering the death and resurrection of Jesus. Uh, Jesus, the very reason Jesus was taken and died, the very reason the Pharisees hated him, the very reason that he was brought before the Sanhedrin on trial and then sent to the Romans is because they hated that he kept saying that he was God's son. Right from the very second Jesus said that he was God's son, he gets into bother. And right from the very second, as we'll see, Paul talks about Jesus being God's son. He gets into bother. But there's nothing else to say, is there? What else is Paul meant to say? What else is Paul meant to do? He's just seen the Lord Jesus and his life has been completely transformed. What else can he talk about? What else can compare with talking about Jesus? Absolutely nothing. But we need to make sure that we keep Jesus the main thing in our evangelism. As we tell people things, we need to keep Jesus the main priority. I'm going to be honest with you tonight. I find evangelism really hard. Okay, such is my job to do Christian work, and I still find it so difficult. So you're not alone if you struggle with this tonight. Sometimes I find myself really struggling even to bring Jesus up in normal conversation, but that's how we evangelize. We don't save people by talking about our church. We don't save people by talking about Christian morals or Christian politics or, or whatever. We might get distracted by those things, but people are saved because they come to know Jesus. And how do people come to know Jesus? Well, they need to know about Jesus. We must keep Jesus central in our evangelism. But actually, ever since Paul, ever since Jesus said it, the centrality of Jesus to the gospel has always been under. All throughout church history, lots of people coming forward and say, well, I actually don't think Jesus is God at all. And you might think, well, of course people believe that. Of course most Christians believe that Jesus is God, but we need to keep that central. There are churches today and that they teach there's nothing really special about Jesus. And they teach that actually, if I live a life like Jesus, I can do exactly the same thing Jesus can. I can heal and I can uh, cast out demons and I can do absolutely, there's nothing special about Jesus, only that he had the Holy Spirit and I have the Holy Spirit so I should do everything that Jesus did. And what that does is that robs Jesus of his divinity. That robs Jesus' position as the Son of God. The gospel is that the all-powerful Son of God, who is God, Lord himself, limited himself and came to earth to suffer and die on a cross. Fully God and fully man. Not part man, not part God, but fully God and fully man. The good news of the gospel revolves all around the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is God's one and only Son, that he is God. And if we take that out of the equation, then we're left with nothing. We're left with an empty gospel that can't save anybody. 
God didn't send an angel. He didn't send a man. He didn't send a less powerful being, but he sent his son, God, to come and to die for me and for you. That's the power of the gospel. It's the same Paul who will write later in the Bible that to live is Christ and to die is gain. So not only has Paul got Christ, Jesus, at the very center of his preaching, he's also got it at the very center of his life. That Paul knows that everything he does must be Jesus-centered. The way he lives his life, the way he speaks to people, the way he evangelizes, yes, but also the way he talks, the way he holds his tongue, the way he doesn't get angry, the way he responds to temptation. For us, Jesus encompasses everything, not just our evangelism, but how we speak to each other, how we act in school, how we drive our cars, how we play sports, all of that should be Jesus-centered. We need to keep Jesus in the center of everything, including how we share the gospel and how we speak the gospel to people who need to hear it most. Question for you. It's maybe a bit of a harsh question, but it's okay. If you had to share the gospel tonight, I'm not going to make you do this, but if you had to share the gospel tonight, could you do it? Peter says later on in the Bible in 1 Peter that we should always be ready to share the hope that we have in Christ. If tonight, if a non-Christian asked you, so what, what is the deal with Jesus? Explain to me why Jesus is God's son. Explain to me why Jesus is God. Could you do it tonight? Maybe you can't, and that's okay, because Paul couldn't do it. Paul needed time. He spoke with the disciples. Actually, in between our little passages, he goes away for three years, and he prays, and he learns all about Jesus. So maybe an application of tonight, as we hear that we must keep Jesus central to our evangelism, Maybe it's like you, you should go home and maybe think, well, actually, how do you evangelize? What would I, what would I say? Well, write it down, write it out, think it through. What Bible verses would you point to? What stories would you use? What would you want to say about Jesus that would lead people to have faith in him? We need to keep Jesus at the center of our evangelism. So there's one thing, one mark of Paul. Paul is Jesus-centered. What about a second thing? He's bold. And as we read through the passage, we kept hearing this word that Paul, Saul, proclaimed boldly. Everywhere he went, he proclaimed boldly. Now remember, why has Paul come? Why has Saul come to Damascus? Well, he's come to throw Christians in prison. He's come to hunt them down and to get rid of them. And he's come with a group of people. And then out of the blue, he gets saved. Out of the blue, this guy who was pretty much a, like a terrorist becomes a Christian, somebody who followed Jesus. And you might be tempted to think, well, if, if I was that position, I would want to hide. I wouldn't want those people that I've come with, those people who thought I was a good Jew, those people who thought I was the best. I wouldn't want them knowing that I've switched teams, that I've changed sides. But Paul's not embarrassed. He doesn't go and hide. He's not shy because the Lord Jesus has just turned his life around in a way that no other person could. And so he's going to be bold. And he's going to tell everybody. So he goes to the synagogue where Jewish people meet to, to pray and, and to worship, where he probably would have went to go to look for Christians, the hub of activity in the town for Jews, and he preaches Christ. He doesn't hide away. He isn't shy about what he's learned. He doesn't think, oh, I need to take a bit of that time here and I need to, I need to get my head around this. I maybe need to go somewhere else where people don't know me. 
His friends who have come with him to persecute Christians are probably listening to him and they're probably going, what happened to him? He used to be on our side. He used to be on our side. He used to be on our team. He came here to persecute Christians. He came here because he hated Jesus. And now he's standing and he's proclaiming in front of everybody that Jesus is the Son of God and that he trusts in him. He's bold in what he says. He's so bold that even the disciples don't know what to think of it. In verse 26, he goes and meets the disciples and they're scared because this is the guy who's terrorized the church. This is the guy who has chased them out of their towns and their homes. This is the guy who has caused them to flee persecution, leave their homes, leave their family, leave their friends and make a run for it. And now he's a Christian. And what is it that shows them? What is it that shows them that actually Paul is genuinely a Christian and this isn't a trick? Well, it's because he's bold. It's because of his boldness in preaching. He gets a friend called Barnabas. Barnabas comes, he encourages him, and he brings him to the disciples and says, no, I've heard this guy preach. I've heard how boldly he, complete, uh, boldly he proclaims the good news of Jesus. And just like Paul, we are called to be bold. Not to hide away with this truth that we know. Not to hide away with something that we know can change the world. Not to hide away a savior who died for us, who bled for us, who took the penalty of the curse that we could not pay, we're called to proclaim it boldly. And you know what? That can be hard, can't it? It can be hard sometimes to get the words out. It can be hard sometimes to make a conversation about Jesus, about the gospel. It can be easy to hide away. It can be easy to blend in. It can be easy to sit and say nothing whenever people are, are talking about church or talking about Jesus whenever people are making fun of God or talking about other religions, we can just shy away and become part of the furniture. But to tonight, God calls us to keep Jesus central and he calls us to be bold in our proclaiming of Jesus. Tonight, if you're a Christian, Jesus is your closest friend. He's the closest person to you. He's your best friend. He's the Lord and Savior who died for you. He's the king who we are forever indebted to for what he has done for us. And he calls us to be bold for him. This is a natural outworking of a life shaped by Christ. So there's two. Jesus-centered, bold. Number three, and this is the least popular one probably, what's another mark of Paul's ministry? What's another thing that Paul does whenever he preaches Christ? Well, it's that he suffers. Have a, a look down back uh, at the passage, and we're going to look at, at two little uh, bits. Um, so have a look down uh, in uh, verse 21. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is this not the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates by day and night in order to kill him, but the disciples took him by night and let him down through a basket in the opening of a wall, lowering him in a basket. And then have a look down at verse 29. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him out down to Caesarea and sent them off to Tarsus two times. This guy has just become a Christian. He's literally just trusted in the Lord Jesus, just 
had his life turned around. And he goes and he does the thing, uh, he proclaims boldly the name of Jesus. And what happens? He immediately gets into trouble for it. He immediately has a plot against him. And this plot probably again comes from those people who he went with. Those people who came to persecute the Christians are now probably persecuting Paul because he switched teams, he switched sides. I don't know, I, one thing I find hard is to find a TV show that everybody's watched for an illustration. How many people have watched The American Office? So, no, not, see, it's really, really hard when you, you need to watch The American Office. That's point number four tonight. No, I'm joking. Uh, but uh, there's a bit of The American Office where one of the characters, Michael, bit of a goof, says, look how the turntables have turned. And I think it's quite ironic, isn't it, that Paul, who was throwing people in prison for believing in Jesus, Paul, who literally stood over the execution of Stephen because he believed in Jesus, is now having death threats made against him. There's now being plots against him. And that's the cost of following Jesus, isn't it? That not everybody will like what we say. Not everybody will believe in him. Not everybody will want to listen to us. And in fact, around the world right now, there are loads of people who are in prison. This year alone, there have been over 400 people die because they believe in Jesus. We live in a relatively safe country. And whenever we give out tracts, whenever we try to evangelize people we don't know, or whenever you sit at the dinner table and maybe try to talk about Jesus and your family say, tell you to be quiet or go to your room, or they ignore you, they don't want to talk to you, that, that's harsh. But there are people all around the world who are literally killed because they trust and believe in the Lord Jesus. One thing Paul knew from the very start of his ministry is that it wasn't going to be easy. One thing I would love to ask him is how did he keep going? Even though people hated him, even though people tried to kill him, even though he had tragedy after tragedy in his life, how did he keep on going? Even though he was nearly stoned to death outside Athens, how did he keep on going? Well, it's because he had his life turned around by the Lord Jesus. It's because he knew he owed everything to the Lord Jesus and he was willing to follow the Lord Jesus no matter what it cost him, even if it meant two plots against his life, literally having to roll out of Damascus, having to be lowered down in a fish basket, having to flee from Jerusalem. He was willing to do it because he knew the Lord Jesus had turned his life around. And just like that, just like Paul, we should expect to suffer. Now, maybe tonight there's not somebody waiting at the gates of Portadown going to kill you because you're a Christian tonight. But let's not kid ourselves because if we really truly follow Jesus and if we fully proclaim that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, then not everybody's going to like us. Not everybody's going to want to be our friends. Not everybody's going to accept us. But we believe that following Jesus is far more worth trap. It's better to be accepted by Jesus than to be accepted by men. I was going to do a jig there, but I'll not, I'll not go that far. Um, three things. Our evangelism, the marks of Paul's evangelism, the marks of our evangelism must be Jesus-centered. We must be bold in proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord, and we must be willing to suffer. One more thing before uh, I finish and before uh, I pray. I, one thing I think is very striking in, in this bit of Acts and in the life of Paul is you have a guy who hates Jesus, and he becomes a guy who loves Jesus. And those are the only two options, okay? 
Uh, tonight, I, I would suspect that a lot of you are Christians tonight, but I would also suspect that a lot of you probably are Christians tonight. And those are the only two options. Either you hate Jesus or you love Jesus, okay? There's no middle ground in between. And, you know, you don't have to be like Paul. You don't have to go around churches dragging Christians and persecuting them and killing them. You can politely hate Jesus and reject him, or you can love him and you can follow him. And the Bible is clear. That's the only two defaults in life. And you have to decide whether you want to reject Jesus tonight or whether you want to follow Jesus. Whenever you encounter the Lord Jesus, your life will be turned upside down. Your priorities will change. It'll not be about you, but it'll all be about him. And as we thought about it in our first point, everything will be Jesus-centered. Everything, every part of our lives would revolve about him. And to those people who follow him, what does Jesus promise? What does he promise? If we stand up for him, if we proclaim his name, if we believe in him, if we trust in him for our salvation, even if we suffer for him, what does he say? He says that I will take you to be with me forever. But if we reject him, if we hate him, if we don't love him, well, he promises us an eternity without him, an eternity of suffering and an eternity Tonight, either you love the Lord Jesus or you hate the Lord Jesus. And I would love if everybody in this room tonight would love the Lord Jesus. Anybody has any questions or any thoughts or wants to disagree with me or anything, come and speak to me or I'll hang about for a bit. Uh, but uh, otherwise, let me pray first. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we just thank you so much for uh, your word. And we thank you, Lord, for Paul. And we thank you so clearly that we see a life so transformed, so turned around because he met the Lord Jesus. And we just pray tonight, Lord, that for us, who, who, as people who love your son, who follow your son, who know your son, we pray, God, that you would continue to transform us, continue to make us like more like Jesus, that we might know even more that he is your precious son, fully God who died on the cross to save us from your wrath, that we might boldly proclaim that and we might do so lord even if it means that we would suffer and we just pray for those tonight in this room god who don't know you and we pray lord that you would have mercy on them that you would give them grace that you would just bring home lord the consequences of a life that isn't spent following you and we pray god in your mercy that you would let them join your kingdom join your family and join the journey in following your son the lord jesus and we pray all this in his precious name. Amen.